Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. What's up, what's up, what's up? It is time for another episode of Small Doses. And, you know, if you've been listening, then you know that I have been on the road. I have been on tour. Shout out to everybody who has come out to shows. Shout out to everybody who has checked AmandaSeals.com to see if I'm coming to your city. Actually, looking forward to these uh, second leg of this tour, which is going to be Houston on September 30th, Louisville on October 1st. Then I'm going to hit up Detroit on October 8th. And then I'm doing Smart, Funny, and Black in Atlanta on October 15th, and we're doing a special Halloween edition of Smart, Funny, and Black in Brooklyn on October 29th, where we're asking folks to come dress up as their favorite black characters. So really looking forward to getting back in front of y'all September and October, and um, hit up amandaseals.com to get your tickets. Now, this episode that we're playing was from the series of shows that we did at the Kendi Center in July. So I went to the Kendi Center, and I did Smart, Funny, and Black. I did stand-up, but we also did a live Small Doses taping. Now, what was supposed to happen was that we were supposed to have April Ryan, who is a White House correspondent. She has been in that White House for so many presidents at this point. She has definitely held Trump to task. She is never one to bite her tongue. And we were going to get the opportunity to talk to her in DC. And then she unfortunately was not able to make it at the last minute. And so I just had to like turn the the charm on and pivot and actually end up doing basically a one woman show on stage. And I was like, dang, you know, like what can I talk about that can be inclusive to this audience in this time, in this way, that's just a one-on-one. And what I decided to talk about was side effects of being smart, funny, and black, because I felt like it was something that this audience, particularly my DMV audience of sisters and brothers could really relate to because the DMV is such a real like melting pot, but in at one point in time, the DMV was so black, it was literally called Chocolate City. And this is the first time uh, that the DMV actually is not predominantly black, but we have seen so much black leadership in the DMV area, and we have seen so much black community come out of the DMV area and so much talent. And being smart, funny, and black is a constant in that setting. And so I said, you know what, let's do that for these people. But then I said, you know what, we got to do that for all of y'all who are listening, because I know so many of you all consider yourselves to be just that. So please uh, take a listen this was such a, um, it was such an interesting conversation because getting to talk to you all on Instagram live or, you know, getting to talk to you all through meet and greets after shows is one thing. Getting to talk to you all through DMs is one thing. But when people get the chance to like ask you a question, but like right in front of you, it's a whole other thing, y'all. And you got to really come correct. So there was a couple times where I was like, oh, did they, 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 they tried to shake me. They tried to shake me, but I felt like I still landed on my feet because I'm a cat. Okay, I'm a cat. And I I know though that those people in the audience who it felt like even if they felt like, even if I felt like they were trying, they were asking a question that was something 
that could have been taken as like offensive or that could have been taken as like, a, oh, you trying to trap me. What I do feel is that they were actually genuinely just trying to ask me a question that really was concerning to them or that was, you know, that was uh, kind of not clear for them. And I really felt good about being able to come to clarity with folks in real time, which at that time I wasn't sure about because I was so tired and because this was so just like an immediate last minute pivot that I had to really shift my consciousness from thinking, okay, I'll just get to moderate a conversation, which is very low lift on the brain to, oh, I'm carrying an entire one and a half hour performance, which is very high lift on the brain. But nonetheless, I love that we were able to capture this audio and that we were able to bring it to you all right here for a special live small doses recording talking about what it is to be smart, funny, and black. You know her, you love her. Unless you're here to hate watch her, your favorite multi-hyphenate funny girl, Amanda Seals. Why, why I wasn't sure if you should clap. Um, I just feel like everybody should just like move down to the front. Like at this point, I'm just like, I'm just gonna call that audible. If you wanna come down to the front, come down to the front. I feel like, you know, folks gonna be coming to places on time. While you're making that move. Not y'all staying in the back. <laughs> like, what's that? Like, y'all must be here to hate watch. Um, so I got a call 30 minutes ago that April D. Ryan is not going to make it. Yeah, so if you came for April, I, I'm sorry for you. Uh, send her a DM. Uh, she says she's under the weather. And so here we are, me and y'all. So welcome to this live recording of Small Doses. Uh, if you have... How, if you've been listening to the podcast uh, for quite some time, make some noise. Oh, wow. You know, when I started doing this podcast in 2018, um, my life was very, very different. Uh, we were recording in my, like, spare room. It's not even, it wasn't even really a guest room. I had no guests. Um, <laughs> But it was like a spare room on a futon. <laughs> like we were like recording sitting on a futon. And um, and I was really just trying to start a podcast that I would not ever get tired of doing. Because that's the thing. I feel like you get these premises and you're like, okay, I know what we're gonna do. Every week, we're gonna try and compare robots to hip hop. Like and you're like, you can't keep this up. You can't, you can't keep this up. And I came up with all these different um like just formats, but really what ended up happening was I just kind of put it out there on my Instagram, like what would y'all want a podcast about? And folks were like, we would just want you like talking about life. And I was like, oh, 
I mean, we could do that every week. <laughs> There's so much life to talk about. Uh, and so here we are four years later, and we've gone through a number of different iterations uh, just in the journey of Small Doses. For the last, like, I would say year and a half, we've been doing just very interview-heavy episodes. And, you know, full disclosure, that was because, like, during this pandemic, I just got tapped out. And when I would be doing Small Doses episodes so often, it was just me by myself. I even tried to have a guest here today, but... <laughs> <laughs> Are the plans? Are the plans? Um, and so, you know, for what it's worth, people started DMing me saying, like, hey, girl, I love the podcast, but I miss having your voice. I miss you having solo episodes. And so I'd listen to you all the same way that I listen to y'all in terms of defining what the podcast would be from the beginning. I listen to y'all when you let me know, like, things that you, you know, want to see or hear again. So I've been trying to do more solo heavy episodes and really just trying to be more, uh, conscious about connecting to you with you all in that regard. So I hope you're enjoying it because it was not something I've just been doing by accident. It was because you guys asked for it. Um. So for today's solo episode, um, you know, the question a lot of people get, a lot of people ask me is how do you, how do you like keep going? How do you keep going? And, you know, there's so much going on. There's so much in the world happening, et cetera. Like, how do you, how do you manage? And to me, what they're really asking is like, how do you stay smart, funny, and black? Like, how do you keep it up? <laughs> like, because it's a three-pronged approach, right? Like, it's not just like, how do you stay smart? It's not just how do you stay funny? It's like, well, I'm a die black. So, you know, that's, that's the easy one. But I think what it really means, though, is like, how do you consistently apply all of those things and stay the course. And so today's episode is side effects of being smart, funny, and black. And um, you guys are going to get the opportunity to get on the mic and ask questions when we get to our DMT section. DMT. We're starting in. I love this thing right here. <laughs> they were like, do you want this? Like, do you want someone else pressing it? No, 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 no. I will press it. I will handle it. Um, so, you know, the idea of, of being smart, funny, and black, you know, I, when I came up with the name smart, funny, and black for like my show, it was simply because someone had asked me to do a night at a comedy club. They were like, we want to give you a Sunday night, at this com or Saturday night, at this comedy club. And if you're coming in late, you're like, oh my God, someone's sitting in our seats. It's like, well, we just, we're just sitting. It's like, this is a college seminar. So just find a seat. Um, <laughs> You know, everyone comes in with a laptop. Like. Um, so they had said, okay, we want to give you a Saturday, you know, and you can just um, do what you want to do. But every time people say you can do what you want to do, they're like, so you can just do what you want to do, so what are you going to do? <laughs> and this was a club that was in like, a, like the lower, like 20s financial district of New York. Um, it's not the official financial district, but it's just like a lot of white guys that work in finance like are in that area. And I was like, uh, yeah, I want to do something that kind of changes up the demographic of, of the club on these evenings. Um, so it's going to be once a month. And, um, you know, I just want to do something that's just like, you know, just different. And they were like, well, like, but like, but like, but like how? But like how? And I was like, uh, fine. It, I mean, it's going to be like a smart, funny black audience. You know, shit, we should just call it smart, funny, and black. And they were like, okay. Uh, 
but that ended up becoming not just like the name of a show I was doing, but an ethos um, that I have lived by. And at that at that time, I was also just in a transition phase in my life from coming from being like in the world of hip hop for so long. My logo went away. Um, being in the world of hip hop for so long, and then. You heard him? Yeah, I know. Um, if we could get my logo back, that'd be awesome. Um, is it something I'm doing? Okay, anywho. Uh, it's one of them days. It's just one of them days. <laughs> uh, by the end of the show, we're going to be outside. By the end of the show, can, can, you, can you just let me know you're working on it? Okay. All right. Um, so it was very much just like. Thank you. It's up. I hope it's stuck. Um, I don't know what that really means. Like when she says it's up and it's up and it's up, then it's stuck. What does it really mean? She's saying that like once it once the, once it turns up, like there's no turning back. Is that what she means? Okay, all right. Like don't let it get that far because once it gets that far, we can't. It's it's irrevocable. <laughs> I should do a segment just like translations. <laughs> like, um, all right. So that became just kind of an ethos to live by. Uh, in a business that I feel like was always trying to tell me like how I should be existing and that was telling me where I should be putting my focus. I was getting a lot of commentary when I was transitioning out of hip hop into like what my next phase of life would be when I was coming out of the cocoon. Uh, folks was like, okay, so you gotta get the white girls to like you. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's it. That's what you gotta do. You gotta get the white girls to like me. I'm like, I haven't done that since sixth grade. Like, I don't. <laughs> I don't know if I have that skill set still. Uh, and you know, back then it was like, I just could do the running man like really efficiently. And that was enough, uh, that was enough. Teach us how to dance. Um, and then it was like, well, you gotta get the gays to like you. You gotta get the gays, you gotta get the guys. And I was like, okay, but like what, like, what does that look like? Do I need to learn how to vote? Like, what is that? Because, you know, people say things without even understanding that they're, like, homogenizing an entire group of people. And that's really the covenant of a lot of marketing, right? And that's, like, the covenant of a lot of the appropriation we see. It's just people, like, perpetuating this idea that, like, if you just do this then this entire group is gonna look, is gonna fuck with you, and that's that. Even when people say, well, you gotta get black women, and I'm like, lots of different black women. <laughs> Glorilla ain't Tabitha Brown. You see what I'm saying? Like, that's not the same, that's not the same uh, crew, right? Let's go! Beloved, you feel me? <laughs> it's just not the same. Some of y'all were like, who is Glorilla, you see? Like, not the same, I just learned. Um, but I like her because she is F-R-E-E. -E. That is what she is. That is what she is. Um, <laughs> uh, and so we're gonna, and we're gonna dovetail a lot in this conversation, all right? I'm just letting you know. It's basically, a, it, I'm doing stand up later, we're doing sit down now. <laughs> so 
The third thing that people were telling me was, you need to stop talking about so many serious topics. You need to stop talking about politics. Like, stop talking about social justice. Like, you just, you need to stop talking about, like, all this blackness. You just, why are you talking about all this blackness? You got to stop talking about all that. And I'm somebody who is just not, I'm not a faker. Like, I can't really fake the funk to my detriment in some cases, right? There's certain scenarios I'm like, man, if you could have just faked that, that probably wouldn't have ended up being that. Um, you know, like, if I'm in a hostage crisis, like, I might be the first to go. You know what I'm saying? Like, I just, I, I couldn't fake it. Um, and so when I think about just the idea of like, okay, someone's telling you, you got to get the white girls, you got to get the gays, you got to not talk about, that just sounds like a lot of me pretending and pretending and pretending. And I went to see, uh, I went to see 12 Years a Slave and I was like, mm. I'm going to just be as black as I want to be. That's what, that's what, <laughs> that's how it ended up. I was like, I'm going to just do that. And by the way, let me tell you, by the way, when I went to go see 12 Years a Slave, I don't know why I did this, but I went to go see it in like the whitest theater. Like I went to see it in Lincoln Center in New York, which is like just a bunch of rich white people, old rich white people, like the people who are like closest in age to this era. <laughs> and this woman tapped me on my shoulder and was like, excuse me, can you please put your hair away? It was just one of the, where you're just like, is this really happening at 12 years of slave? Like, how? And of course, in true Amanda fashion, I turned around and I was like, this ain't the movie to make that request. Move around. She looked at it and pulled out a pick and make it even bigger, you know? So, that's when I moved into just being very ardent about really carving out like what I'm gonna live in. And so this conversation is just as much about like me talking about my living in that space, but also talking about like what it is to just identify your identity, right? And like choose to live unapologetically in that. And the ways in which we create pathways to continue to do so. You know, I think sometimes we can have that conversation with ourselves, like in our room, you know, on a Sunday when it's raining, but then you go out in the world and it's like, oh, I forgot about the world. Like, and you know, I gotta like do this in the world. And it can be very um, daunting and it can also be just very belittling. Um, and it can be confusing, right? Because how you see yourself is not necessarily how people see you. And you can't like necessarily control how people see you, but you can control how you feel about how people see you. <laughs> and that's its own thing. Um, and I say that as somebody who absolutely looks at comments and is like, that's not fair, you know? So it's a work in progress. It's a work in progress. And just a side note, people are always like, you know, I don't know why you care about what people who don't know you say on the internet. And that's the mind fuck. That's the actual mind fuck because you're like, you don't know me but you have such strong feelings about me. Where are these feelings coming from? And then I want to call them. <laughs> I genuinely would love to do a show where it's just me talking to people who have like made a crazy comment. Like I would love to just do that show like that where the producers find that person and we just, you know, and the show is called Seal the Deal. And, or like Settle by Seals, you know? And we just have a chat. And I'm like, okay, so when you said, 
in this comment that I clearly wear my hair, my hair big because I have a hidden agenda. <laughs> Tell me more. <laughs> Eliminate for me, what is the agenda? Uh, because that's the other thing I love, like people really just will come up with things for your identity that have nothing to do with who you are, but everything to do with their own insecurities about themselves. Um, you know, and the projecting of that is like very, very serious. And it's a lot to manage when you're just trying to like get through this life thing. So once, once forth, I, <laughs> from once forth, I sprung this mindset of like, okay, I'm, I'm just going to live in this smart funny and blackness. It became, how do I build a life that can do that? Like, how do I build an existence that is supported by that? And one of those things that I had to identify first is like, well, what's the difference between just being funny and being silly? Okay, so we're gonna do a gem dropping about that. Gem dropping, gem dropping, gem dropping. This is a multi-layered gem dropping because there is being smart and being right. There's being funny and being silly. And then there's being black as the world sees you and then being your whole black selves in the world. Those are three different things. So for those of you who are just joining us, um, April D. Ryan was going to be here, but unfortunately she fell under the weather in, in acute fashion, and so she wasn't able to make it. She deeply apologizes. Uh, but nonetheless, the show must go on, and we are forging forward with tonight's, well, today's small doses topic, side effects of being smart, funny, and black. So it's one thing to be smart, it's another thing to be right. I think for all of us who engage in the internet, we know that most people are just trying to be right. They're wrong, but <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like most people are just trying to be right because it makes them feel big, it makes them feel heard, it makes them feel real. Um, and the truth about it is that the smartest person in the room knows they're not always gonna be right and knows that they don't know everything. That's the thing. That's just what it is. You find that out as you get older, like you start to realize that you don't know what you don't know. And so like you try and set up the best spaces for you to learn. And then sometimes you also learn like, I don't need to know that. <laughs> so I'm gonna let that person know that and I'm gonna pay them to know that. Um, and that's just part of being a, an employer, right? Like I think sometimes we want to just micromanage and really like be on top of folks, but ultimately you gotta be on top of what you're really great at and also expand is not necessarily meaning that you have to uh, smother somebody else in their greatness, but it really just allows you to have more perspective and, in, and insight. For me, I had to really learn like being smart is a multifaceted thing that's not just about you always being the one with the last word. It's not always about you being the one with the loudest voice. And it's not always about you being the one with the facts, 
right? Because sometimes, ain't nobody even trying to hear your facts. <laughs> yeah, you, know, you just faxing away, just, you know, what's the fax ring? And it's, it's, you're talking to an empty, an empty vessel. Like you're talking to someone that just doesn't care. You're talking to a space that isn't receptive. And how smart is that? That's a waste of energy. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. Like there is something to be said for like, okay, you always want to show up in your full self and you always want to make sure that you're not like enabling idiocy, right? Like, because we also know that when you are quiet and you let the shit rattle around, you are basically an enabler to let it keep going and going and going, which by at this point in time is more real than I think I've ever experienced in my life. The amount of extremism and that applies to a number of things, right? Like extremism as it relates to religion, extremism as it relates to like just alternative facts. <laughs> like it's just people are going to the hilt and it's a lot of folks don't feel like they need to say anything or that they need to stop it. And it's like, yo, the more that we let these folks just like keep going and keep going and keep going. If you plan to stay here, it's going to keep going all over you. I see folks say stuff to me like, yeah, you know, I've just removed myself from the country. <laughs> I saw someone say today, the other day in one of my comments, they said, see, that's why I don't live with the masses and I live in the mountains because the masses aren't smart and the masses don't have it together. And I was like, baby, you and the masses are still under the same governance. <laughs> So you could tell yourself that, you know, you have removed yourself just for your like daily existence. But in the context of what we were talking about, the truth is, is that you and the masses are both voting and are both going to have to deal with the repercussions of how those votes end up landing and how the gerrymandering and all these things end up affecting that. So you are lying to yourself. I had to realize that I was lying to myself when I thought that if I was just smart enough than like that. If I was just smart and always on point, then that would just be all I needed to do to get to where I wanted to go. And I had to learn how to be like more of a person. I feel like um, I just am a very like robot-y, like my natural, my natural, like if I'm in my natural, natural, natural self, I feel like I'm very just like sharp and to the point and why do we even have to have all of this extra conversation? Uh, do you require an emoji at the end of every sentence? This is tiring. <laughs> Motherboard. <laughs> Destructing. Uh, and I had to like legit, y'all, learn that if I wanted to continue to create spaces for me to live my full self, I needed to like help myself out. I needed to help myself out and learn how to bring that funny part that I have like in to help me out and, and, and create a little bit more levity in spaces where I just wanted to show up and be like, well, this is what it is. So I don't know why we have to even have a greater discussion because this is what it is. And then people are like, you're yelling at me. <laughs> Cause the truth is loud and that's really the facts. When you speak the truth, you can speak the truth just like this. And someone's like, I feel attacked. <laughs> she was yelling at me. It's like, no, the truth was yelling at you. <laughs> so that was the difference, you know, that I had to really understand between like being smart and being right. 
when it came to being funny and being silly, it's just like you start trying to identify like, well, what does that really mean? And like, as someone who didn't start out in comedy as a young person, like I didn't start out in my 19s or in my teens or my 20s as a lot of comic. A lot of the comics you know, like they started out like in the comedy club when they were like 16. Like Dave Chappelle was in a club when he was like 16. Jerry Seinfeld, I think same thing. Chris Rock, same thing. Like I was at the ripe old age of 31. You know, which especially in women's years, it's like, oh my God, she's, she's soon past childbearing age, you know? And um, it was a very, it was a very like liberating space to get into because I realized that there was so much in the comedy space in terms of just beyond the work, but just the personalities that were there. It was like I had found my tribe. And I really realized like, oh, like you're not mean, you're not a misanthrope, you're just a comedian. Ha! Um, you, it's not that you don't like people, you just don't like having to figure them out. That's what you don't like. And when you're a comedian, you're always trying to figure things out. Your brain is always in that mode and it's like, it's, it doesn't stop. But in defining my own comedy, I really took it very seriously. Like, okay, funny, silly, silly, funny. Like, what does that show up as? And it came to be very important to me that people don't consider me silly. The reason why is because there's a lot of room for silly in comedy. Like, you know, there's slapstick and there's just, you know, characters and all that. But every time I would show up in that way, I would just feel unfulfilled. Like, I would feel like I wasn't using the purpose in its purpose. And so I was like, you know what? I need to be more conscious of, like, what this really means, what this really is. And when it came down to it, I realized that the difference for me between silly and funny is that, you know, funny hits you in the mind and, you know, silly hits you in the heart. So how do you find the magic between the two, right? Because you're, you're the, I say it hits you in the heart because it's touching your child. Like, it's your inner child that's like, <laughs> look at that. You know, like, I can watch people falling. I can watch videos of people busting their ass. It's, I, I like, sometimes I look around, like, am I, is this wrong with me? But I find this, you know, and that's the silly. But when I was really defining my comedy, it was like, you can't have too much silly or people will not take you seriously. And this comedy for you has a seriousness about it. My comedy is 1000% rooted in making sure I am showing up for my ancestors. Like that's really what it is. Like I can... say like it's also you know I want to make sure that I'm bringing topics to the fore that people may not want to talk about I want to make sure you know I can also say like it's also me wanting to make sure that using comedy is also not just um something to make you laugh but to make you learn like you know there's other things but ultimately like in a, in in attaching to my purpose it was like oh this is the thing that I'm supposed to be doing so I can't just do it cavalierly I have to be like really thoughtful about it and when I think silly I don't think thoughtful when I think silly, I think thoughtless. That's the point, right? It's just, and so I try to put a little bit of that in there just to get y'all hooked. But then also I make sure to try and ground it in the funny because the funny for me is where the genius is. That's where the wit lies, right? That's where the cleverness gets in the mix. And once you start doing that, 
you realize you're crafting. This is art now. This isn't just, I'm cool at a party because I got some stories. So for me, being smart and being funny are very different than being smart and being silly because I know certain people who I know are smart, but they show up in the world silly. And so it completely undermines every time that they be smart to the point where folks now are just like, ah, I really know. And I watch and I'm like, damn, you've spent so much time being silly that folks don't even respect that you actually are smart. I mean, shit, look at Flavor Flav. Flavor Flav is a smart person. <laughs> like legit, like, you don't, you're not just in public enemy casual, okay? Like, but he's been presented, you know, in this certain way for so long into certain generations, that's all they know. They only know Flavor Flav in the context of, of what's her name, New York? That's it, and delicious. Spelled S-H-U-S. They don't have this other concept of like, 911 is a joke in your town, like actual messages. And it, it's, it's like when I see that, it lets me know, like that's why you have to be conscious. Like you have to be cognizant of how you're showing up because if you are not, they will show up the way you, they will show you up the way they want you to show up. I was doing a game show the other day and uh, they asked me, how do you want to be introduced? And they had introduced me, they had it written down as a comedian and actress. I don't really like the actress title because it's something that I can do, but it's not something that I love in the way that I know other actors love it, right? So it always feels like a bit of a miss, um, like a misappropriation of someone else's passion, right? So I said, oh, I w can we change actor and just put um, activist? And I don't even really like activists like that, but I could tell that they wasn't even trying to do too much. So I was just like, let me just make this easy for y'all. <laughs> so I go on stage and the host introduces me and the other contestant. And she's like, you know, introducing Amanda Seals, comedian and actress. And I was like. <sighs> <laughs> so we like do that, we do like that take. And I was like, mm. and I looked at the, the production assistant who was helping me and I was like, hey, um, yeah, like, can we change, like we said? Cause like, why did you come and ask me, right? <laughs> so she was like, oh, we were overseas. So she was like, oh yeah, um, they decided that it would be better if you were introduced as an actress. <laughs> they decided that it would be, who, who is the, who is they? Literally, who is that? Um, because it'd be like Oz behind the curtain, you know what I'm saying? So I'm like, uh, all right, yeah. You know you try, you know you try to be okay with things because you don't want to be difficult, but you're difficult. <laughs> like you are who you are. So I tried to be okay with it for like a strong 27 seconds. <laughs> strong. And I said, hmm. So they start the take again. And this time, she does it again, the host, because she don't know what's going on, right? So she's like, next up, we have comedian, actress, and but she, this time, she happened to look my way when she said it, and I was like. <laughs> I just couldn't, like, it was in my body. So she finishes the take, and she comes over, and she's like, I don't even know what's going on, but we're gonna fix it. 
We're going to fix it because I can tell that you are upset. I don't want that. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't want whatever's going on to upset you and to get in your head while we're in the game. <laughs> so I was like, all right. So now I'm like, so now the, the, produ- the produ- production assistant comes up to me again and I'm just like, hey, what's going on? <laughs> you know, because that's what happens. Like I, I, first of all, I just commend people who can stay calm at consistent infractions. I don't have that. All right? And so then people are like, oh, like you have an attitude. And I'm like, well, I didn't have an attitude the first time. And I, I didn't have an attitude the second time. But by the third and the fourth and the fifth, like it just starts, you know, like my cup runneth over. So now I'm just like, what, who do I need to speak to? Because I feel like I'm, I'm bringing you the heat. I'm bringing you the heat and you shouldn't be getting the heat. Someone else is supposed to get the heat. So who wanted to bring this heat to? It felt very American. Honestly. It felt very American, and um, she was like, well, um, so we're going to, um, I've I've talked to them, I've talked, I've talked, and they're they're going to fix it. It was actually not, it was just, it just hadn't gone up the chain of command. Girl, get a story. You sound like Sesame Place. I see y'all twinsies. You wearing a red skirt? I'm wearing a red skirt. We wearing a red skirt. I noticed as they were walking that it actually wasn't a skirt. It was a skort. Shout out to everyone who was in middle school in the 90s. The skort. The skort was a time. Now you young folks are like, skort. So relax. We did it. I just, my, my, my coordinator is like 22 and she's like, yeah, like 90s fashion is like back, like late 90s fashion, 2000s fashion. I'm like, I don't, what is 2000s fashion? Because what it seems like to me is layering butterflies and just enormous belts. Um, so they fix it, right? So the host comes back on and she's like, next up, comedian and activist. Amanda C. So now the other person who's comp- who I'm competing with is like this very like, just, for real. <laughs> I can only see shadows and all I saw was like. <laughs> so they got a story that they gonna touch base on after the show. Um, so the woman I was competing against is like this very nice, like right white woman. Um, when I say right white, that's a synonym for an ally. Uh, actually, we were competing for donations to charities. And so I'm over here like, yeah, I'm competing for Donors Choose. It's a charity that's all about helping educators and giving them access to resources. <laughs> Y'all, she was like, I'll be competing for such and such, which is an organization that uh, gets indigenous people of America back their land. <laughs> <It's> like. <laughs> Revolution. But like, if you look at her, you would never think she had all that going on in her. Like, she's just like, A-line cut, salmon Libby flat. Um, you know, like, bow on the back. Some, some of y'all know about the salmon Libby flat. Like, that, that hit you special. She was like, <laughs> It was a time, it was a time. And um, she just was a very like, pap, 
placid, you know, just real, just chill white lady. And went after this, she came up to me and she was like, that's fucking right. <laughs> she was like, don't let them ever tell you who the fuck you are. <laughs> yeah, you better be difficult. You better be, ch- and I didn't even say, I'm not even saying anything. I'm just like, she was like, you better be fucking difficult, you better be fucking demanding, and you better let them know, because if you don't, they're going to tell you what it is. They're going to tell you every fucking time what it is, and we can't allow that. I was like, <laughs> So, but that's one of those times, though, where it's like, it's not just enough for me to, like, be black, I got to show up as black as I want you to know I am. And this was a show that was on Fox, And it was very important to me to always be conscious of that. When I was on The Real, it was very important to me to make sure that I showed up a particular way because of the environment that I was in. Thank you. like I appreciate that show like making the change you know what I'm saying like I don't know what the reason was or why it didn't happen in the beginning but they did it and it's like there's places that just won't right there's just places that really just want to stand on well we have this little bit of power or whatever and so we're gonna do that and as black women so often literally in us just advocating for ourselves it gets seen as your problem you're difficult you're angry I mean I've literally called all these things like I had a book publicist who didn't tell me who I had a book publicist who I hadn't met until two weeks before my book come out and I was like why haven't why haven't I met you until now and she said you're clearly angry. <laughs> Baby, you ain't seen angry. You haven't seen angry. But I loved my editor because my editor got off the phone and was like, okay, so first of all, I completely understand that was strong white womaning that she was doing. My editor's a white woman. <laughs> that was a lot of heavy white womaning she was doing. I'm gonna, I have an email already formed and drafted. It will get dealt with, it will get dealt with. And, and actually, shout out to my editor for Small Doses, the book, because Samantha Wiener. We're working on a new book. We're on a new book. Um, when I pitched Small Doses, the book, to her, when I pitched Small Doses, the book, I pitched it to, like, five different places. And all of them were like, yeah, we just we don't get it. You want to, like, talk about topics and... You want to do it in like different formats? Do you want pictures? What? Ugh, this is stupid. Um, and Samantha was like, oh, I fucking totally get it. And when we met in person, she said to me, Amanda, black women are the number one readers of purchasers of books. So it doesn't even make. She was like, it doesn't even make sense as a publisher to continue to simply only publish white men authors. She was like, it's, it's not only irresponsible, like, socially, but also, like, economically. Like, why would we keep doing that? So write the blackest black woman book you want to write, and I am going to be here as you do it. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. And she did. Like, at no point, at no point in Small Doses did Samantha Wiener go, no no she was always like go harder (laughs) but just a side note 
So you have to have an edit. Like you get editors who come on and like sometimes it'll just be editors that are editing just for like grammatical errors or like double words, stuff like that. And I had never met these women. I still never met these women. I don't even know what they look like. They could be in this room right now. If you are, talk to me after. Um, because it was hilarious when y'all asked me. Um, so, so they'll like send you notes. They're like, so bout it, bout it. <laughs> Is the repetition intentional? <laughs> I even in one sentence said like somebody was woke and they like retyped it to awake. <laughs> I put for show <laughs> and I just got a note that had three question marks. Foot for for it for for sure for show like they genuinely were like I can't even decipher this this is Sanskrit <laughs> so when I write when I do a podcast when I'm hosting all of these things I've made a decision to show up as a black woman in these spaces in a very clear and distinct way and to show up for any black woman that wants me to show up for them in those spaces, right? So, you know, I, the, the thing is people love to be like, she doesn't speak for everybody. And it's like, I don't speak for everybody, but they gave me this platform. And so I'm here doing my best to speak in ways that show regard and advocacy for those that aren't on this platform, right? Because if I got up here and I only spoke for myself, then you'd be like, see, selfish bitch. That's that light-skinned shit. So I definitely make it my business to show up in that way. And I think there's people who will say like, you know, she's only doing that because she's light-skinned, like she's trying to overcompensate for her blackness, et cetera. And I'll just let you know, like, that's dumb. Like, that's just not a real thing. I feel like that's very, very, very close to like calling a light-skinned black person a wigger. <laughs> it's teetering, it's teetering. And I think for a lot of light-skinned black folks, it's just like, we're living our own experience of blackness that is absolutely not dealing with colorism in the same way as dark-skinned black folks. However, it is still a black experience and it still, for me, means that I have to show up for all black folks in every space that I'm in and be conscious of what that actually means and how that's getting received to the best of my abilities. I can't see and, and do for everything, but I try my best to have as minimal of blind spots as possible. And when I was on The Real, it was incredibly difficult sometimes to get the space to do that. Um, it was a really... It was the first time that I had truly, truly felt the bitterness of folks who just don't want to know that there are black people that know things. <laughs> it's that simple. Like, it's not even any more complex than that. Like, it was literally just day after day after day of people, not, I'm not just saying white people or Latinx people, like, black people being like, stop saying things. 
that I don't know about. You trying to be too smart and don't nobody want that. I got that so many more times than you can imagine. You know, you really need to understand that we don't watch this show to learn. So cut it out. Um, I got, like, that was, the, that was the thread. And it was mind-boggling to me. Like, it just didn't, it really didn't, like, make sense to me. And that's when you start asking yourself, like, am I trying to be right or am I trying to be smart? Like, what, how am I showing up? And for the most part, I will tell you, like, I was really just trying to show up and be smart and just, like, bring into the conversation information that wasn't necessarily there, you know, and that maybe had been overlooked. And in all of my work, that's what I'm trying to do with my blackness, with my humor, and with my intellect. It's trying to bring something into the space that isn't there or that may spark something for somebody that didn't know they had it. Um, you know, like when I'll see things on these internets and people will be like, Amanda, can you speak on? Can you speak on? Can you speak on? I'm just like, if I can't think of something to add that ain't already been said, I'm not gonna speak on it right away. I'm not, you know, like, and there's this over expectation that you need to have something to say about everything. No, you don't. Y'all, we don't all need to have something to say about everything. A lot of us aren't even informed enough to have something legitimate to say about everything. And then you have this whole thing about like, well, everyone has a right to an opinion. I mean, not really. I mean, cause genuinely like, I don't have a right to an opinion on any of your lives. Who the fuck am I? Unless you solicit it, I don't have a right to an opinion on any of your lives. I really don't. I don't have a right to an opinion. I saw someone say the other day, you just don't understand that. <laughs> she just looks like she does, she does that. She looks like she does that. But she was like, you know, you just don't understand that people can like somebody and people cannot like somebody. So people can accept somebody and people cannot accept somebody. So like when it comes to being gay folks or trans folks or whatever, like they just need to understand that not everybody accepts them and they need to just be okay with that. Shut the fuck up. You sound stupid. Because what you're saying is not in alignment. Someone's identity in how they show up, how they choose to exist, is, is one thing. Someone's um, way of being, like in their actual being, is another thing, right? Which is why like every gay person is not the same. Um, every trans person is not the same. They may share this way of life, but that's not necessarily how they are in terms of their whole identity. You cannot like somebody while also respecting what they exist as a person. That's it. That's basic to me. And so it's always... Uh, a journey when I feel like when I'm looking at people and I'm trying to understand like what is it about you that got you thinking that what you got to say is so important because I don't know who amped you up <laughs> I think folks just really be in the mirror like I'm small mm -mm, I'm small <sighs> so that is my gem dropping on the difference between being smart and right between being funny and silly and between being black and 
all black. <laughs> Now, this is the point of the show where if you have any questions, if you would like to come to the mic, this is the time because we are about to get into DNT. We're starting in. Um, no, yeah, 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 yeah. Come on. <laughs> so when you come to the mic, say your name, say like, where you're from or where you rep, because where you from ain't necessarily where you at, you know what I'm saying? And, um, and then, you know, say what you want to say. Hi, I'm Susan Kyles. I'm from Memphis, Tennessee. Hey, Susan from Memphis! But I'm at Washington, D.C. I live in D.C. Okay, okay. And I loved your show. Let me say, I hadn't heard of everything that you've done, but I really enjoyed it. The one question I have is, you said you're smart, funny, and black. But you never said a woman. And mm-hmm. that is a whole lot of what defines you, and especially in the industry that you're in. Mm-hmm. I work with women all the time who we're trying to empower them to become economically self-sufficient. Mm-hmm. And there's a whole different a whole different attitude you have to have, a whole different everything to even get to where you are. So I just wanted to ask that. What was the question? <laughs> Being a woman, you didn't have that in your... You You're asking why pump. I don't have that? Right. Uh, because being smart, funny, and black is a chosen identity. Being a woman is my physical being that I am. So I'm a cisgendered heterosexual woman. Like, that is my natural existence in the world. Um, but being a smart, funny, and black is my chosen existence in the world. Black, and black is, is not chosen. Well, what I explained in the gem dropping mm-hmm. is the way my blackness shows up. Oh. So that's what I'm talking about. Like, there's plenty of people, Clarence Thomas, for example, who... <laughs> you follow? You feel me? Like, he has chosen a different path for his blackness. That got two people up. <laughs> Hello. Hi, I'm Lenise Herbert. I'm a law professor. I'm Fancy. here with a new member of the bar, Tamika Ooh. Hopkins. Hey! Yeah! When I found out you were coming, I first became familiar with you with your acting, of course. And then I listened to the podcast and I thought, she's so smart, she's so funny, she's so black. (laughs) (laughs) And I had no idea, but I wanted to get somehow to you because I'm gonna give you, I wanna give you a gift. I actually have a book. It is a criminal procedure book, constitutional criminal procedure, authored by two black women, myself and my co-author. And I thought she's so on this social justice policing, constitution. I want her to be right. So I have it for you. Thank you. It's right here. Appreciate you. And if you have anyone who wants to take it from me, I'm happy to offer it to you. Awesome. But thank you for this. I knew when I, you were coming to DC, I'm like, I'm buying tickets, I'm going in. Thank you. I'm going in. So your story tonight about your editor and the publisher, oh my gosh. <laughs> the, the ones who come in to edit for substance, it's like, mm. so this discussion about 
race-based policing. Let's just, but they were also fabulous. Awesome. They wanted to meet the moment with the proper author. So. I appreciate that. Thank That's you. Dope. Thank you so much. Um, is there anything that you can share with us in terms of just like increasing our knowledge of criminalization and policing and all of these things that comes, to, comes like at the top of your head? I think the most important thing is this, is, this is your point, your very first gem that you drop. Difference, of being, difference between being right and being smart. Mm. And when you are in the position of being at the mercy of those who don't regard humanity as uh, legitimate, viable, worthwhile, you can be smart, you can be right. So I would suggest being smart, um, because even if you're right, somehow you can manage to be somehow wrong. Damn. Well, there's that. Thank you, sis. We just got Olivia Pope's, like, really quick. Hi. Hi. Sorry, really nervous. Does it sorry? <laughs> Um, my name is Karen. I'm repping Oakland and Ethiopia. Okay, <laughs> repping the town and the motherland. Um, my question is for you. I'm an undergraduate student. Is when do you know it's time to leave a predominantly white space and institution? Because I want to go into grad school, but what? In my life, I have a very basic uh, ethos that I follow around when it's time to leave anything. And that's when the challenge becomes a stress. Now, but sometimes you gotta challenge yourself, like, am I really stressed? Am I creating the stress? Like, am I doing what I can do to relieve, am I, I you know what I'm saying? Like, there's that, right? Because sometimes, like, you'll be in a relationship and you're gonna be like, this is so stressful, and it's like, mm. are you doing this thing that's making the stress? You know, because you can make a choice about that. Um, but in these spaces, it's when the challenge becomes a stress. I think a lot of us really find ourselves in these predominantly white spaces and we are like, okay, like I just gotta push through this. You know, I know the purpose of this. I know why I'm here versus somewhere else. Um, there's some of us though who are just like, I gotta conquer, you know what I mean? Like I gotta be the first black in any space, right? <laughs> and uh, you know, that's not for everybody. Right? That's not for everybody. And then at the end of the day, ain't nobody trying to leave nowhere with a Pyrrhic victory. And a Pyrrhic victory is a victory where the, the wins, the win is actually not worth because the losses are greater. It's similar to what our, our good sis, the Juris Doctorate professor was just telling us, right? Like, you right, but you suffered so much loss in the pursuit of that that it still feels like you didn't win at all. So for me, I feel like it's, it's truly assessing and analyzing the weight that the space that you're in is having on you as a person, as you're in your mental health, in your identity. You know, some of us can go into a predominantly white space and just turn our identity off for a few hours. You know what I'm saying? Like, y'all don't get this me. All y'all gonna, gonna know about me is I have a great shoe collection. <laughs> You know, like that's it. Like some of us can just do that, but all of us are not the same and we shouldn't expect the same of everybody. 
So you have to kind of just, you have to examine yourself, like what am I giving up to get this? Um, when I was in the music business, I had to leave because I realized I was giving up more than I was getting back. And I knew that in order for me to be the level of success that I would have considered successful, I was gonna have to be less of myself than I was willing to be. And I luckily found another path. So that's really how I identify when it's time to go. Does that help at all? It definitely does. Okay, yay! Thank you so much. No problem. Next Hi. question. I'm Jess from White Plains, New York, currently White residing Plains? I went in to Charlotte. Purchase. I know, I know. Black Plains. Okay. <laughs> no, really, that's exactly what yes. it is. Shout to Paris Ave. Okay, all day. Um, but my question is, knowing that you played the character Dion in 1994, my brother and me. You're definitely wearing a my brother and me jacket. You know, custom made by myself. <laughs> nice, nice. Um, but in that terms, Dion portrayed somebody who was very strong, aware, and confident in self. Do you feel that having art pretty much imitate life and be an example for a lot of young black girls as myself watching that show was a moment where you probably had like, hey, maybe I really am smart, funny, and black and sticking to my moral <laughs> ethic is what's going to take me where I need to go without having to compromise so much or have to hide myself? I mean, I don't think it was a conscious thing, but in hindsight, like, I feel like being able to be in a situation like that only helped support me in growing into that as an adult. And... I always tell people, like, when I examine privilege and my access to privilege, I feel like the biggest um, privilege I've ever had beyond, like, light skin privilege, beyond, um, you know, being middle class, beyond pretty privilege, like, whatever. <laughs> um, whatever, like, I didn't say it for myself, like, someone said it. But, but it really has been educators. I just had the privilege of, like, incredibly good educators who had resources and thus had more to give me. Um, and when I was doing My Brother and Me, I just lucked up to be in a space where the creatives there were genuinely like black folks that wanted to make a genuinely good show about black kids. The reason why it didn't continue is because to my knowledge, there was a a coonification a, a that was attempting to happen and the creator had decided that he would rather let the show go than allow that. Um, he's went on to write on like a number of dope shows but that's something that I feel like not everybody would have experienced, right? So I think even, even in experiencing that, like that's the type of stuff that kind of just pours into you before you even know. Right. Um, I was only supposed to be on one episode they wrote me into 10, um, and they did so because they were like, oh, this is, this is a different version of black girl that we need like in this mix. Right. So to your point, I mean, that's a, that's a dope assessment. I've never even looked at my brother and me in that way as it fits into my development as somebody who defines themselves and exists every day in a smart, funny, and black space. But... I must say, I love that I am associated with that show because it did show up in a way that I think a lot of people can truly say was like genuine and uplifting for black children. And I would love to see something like that now. Thank you. Thank you. Um, 
Amanda, thank you very much. My name is Terence Cribbs Laurent. I'm from Miami. Hello. Um, and uh, this sounds like a new line of fragrance. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I recently came to my uh, to DC to work on move from scripted world to uh, reality TV, and I got oh. a new yeah, I got okay. a rude awakening. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so. I want to ask you, um, the Black Collectors Gallery, um, you're, you're a visual artist. Uh, I want to ask you in regards to um, compromising your talents and mm. gifts mm. to fit into settings where um, you want to be appreciated and celebrated, but you also want the opportunity. Uh, and so coming into, and by the way, my, you know, um, Housewives of Potomac, uh, get ready for that, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> um, but how do you, how do you how have you managed your 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 position in that space when you you are artist you're a visual artist you're you have all these different talents but then you're asked to minimize them to meet the moment so um I feel like yeah I had to change my whole posture yeah. I feel like I've never, mm, I don't feel like I've truly expected much of this business in terms of its regard for true artists. So early on, I started to realize that I was always going to have to retain a, a, like a through line that I was controlling. Um, that really was about artistry of all kinds in order to also be a part of this through line that allows for the opportunity to grow this through line, right? That allow, and that opportunity can be monetary, it can be visibility, it can be networking, et cetera, right? Like I would be remiss to say that like being on Insecure didn't help like my, my personal passions, right? But like being on Insecure wasn't my personal passion. Like, I, I mean, I, I enjoyed my time as Tiffany. Like I like enjoyed like growing that character and you know, what she did over the course of that time. But like, I didn't like the process. Like I don't like being on a set for 16 hours. Like that's just not, whereas like some people fucking love it. They're just thriving. You know, they're the ones who are like, do you want coffee? Do you want any coffee? Do you want any coffee? Um, and so I just say that to say that I feel like there's always a pocket of you that you have to keep. Because any commercial or capitalist space is just not, it's not there for you. You have to decide how you want to show up in that space for yourself. So like for instance, and I'll talk about this later, but like I created this subscription service, The Amandaverse. And it's like $5 a month and people subscribe and they get like exclusive content. They get, they're about to start getting series and they get behind the scenes, et cetera, et cetera. But they also just get the knowledge of knowing that like they're contributing to me continuing to be able to make creative work outside of Hollywood that just is on my terms. And people who want that type of work are like, here's $5 to make more of that type of work. Like I don't, get, like I'm, gonna, I'm starting a series on the Amandaverse called Rebels and Radicals that's me breaking down 
different books and films and speaking to different examples of individuals who are rebels and radicals in my goal of just inspiring us to think differently about things because like America hasn't really taught us about radicalism because it doesn't want us to be radicalized. <laughs> um, but like, I can't do that on HBO Max. <laughs> like they not giving me money for that. You know what I'm saying? Like, so I've always got to like keep this other space going. So when it comes to the idea of like compromising, I don't necessarily think it's I mean, I guess there's, there's the idea of compromising in the sense that, and you can come back to the mic because I want to ask you a question. Like, when you say compromising, are you specifically saying, like, uh, you are, you're in a space where you're not using all of your skills and so it feels like you are ignoring them? You are, like, I'm, draining I'm, them? I'm sheltering them, actually. You're sheltering them? Yeah, and I feel like, and I see it in a lot of other you know, spaces where you try to, you know, I used to say, you're not paying me for that, right? Right. right. You're, not, you're not paying me for that. You're not paying me enough for that, right? Right. And I think that that forces me not to show up my authentic self all the time because I'm compromised. I feel like I'm compromising what I know I can do if I know that table is supposed to be somewhere else, you know, but they're not paying me to move that table. Baby, I do the same thing, but okay. I think we have different perspectives. Cause I just look at it like it's above me. <laughs> like, and once I started doing that, it actually really alleviated some of my stress and it allowed me to then take that energy and pour it into myself. Because it was like they're not gonna appreciate it anyway. They really don't care that you know that the table shouldn't be there. But you're like, but when I do my own shit on Saturday, the table's gonna be where it's supposed to fucking be. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I think it you. may just kind of sometimes be a shift in perspective and understanding that, like, so for instance, like, I didn't go to Columbia originally because I thought that, you know, I need to go to an Ivy League university um, because this is this place that's going to legitimize my academic knowledge. Like, no, like, I was going to Columbia because I knew, like, these white people care about shit like this and for the work I'm going to do, I want to have this other thing at my back that they can't question, like that was that. Mm -hmm. I ended up having this like incredibly rich, beautiful black experience in the midst of this, you know, predominantly white institution, but I knew what I was going in there for. If you know you're going somewhere for the check, get the check. You know what I'm saying? Like you just got to get the check. I know why I'm here, I don't like none of y'all. I don't like none of y'all. I don't like none of y'all. Text your friends while you're at work. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love that response. <laughs> um, so thank you for your explicit love of educators. I'm an educator, so shout out to all yeah! the educators. Yes, all the school leaders in the space. So my question is, how do you temper who you are? by still empowering our people, like empowering people of color, but also holding them accountable. Mm. Like it's a tough line and I feel like in education- some no way to do it without getting heat. Like unless you're Tabitha of the Brown, I don't think there's any. <laughs> <laughs> Just, and even in that, like I think, you know, Tabitha shows up a certain way that speaks to certain messaging, right? But that wouldn't necessarily be an effective way to get across other messaging, right? right. I think right. it's a multi-pronged approach and all of us are a village that are 
trying to reach people in different ways and in different voices. Like, I don't know that there's any version of tempering who you are. Like, it, like tempering who you are to meet everybody is not realistic. But I feel like your biggest heat is like towards the man, and I understand that. But how you think do my we? My biggest heat is towards the man. Yeah, I feel like we. Why? The frustration I sense from you, for the most part, is from people who are not people of color. I, I feel your love more for us, and maybe that's yeah. just me. Oh, I thought you but, meant towards like black men. I was like, God. Oh damn no 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 <laughs> no! Like just holding black and brown people accountable. Like how do we? Because I almost feel sometimes, and to be honest, I sometimes feel like people who are not of color, you kind of give up on them. Like, you know what? You're never going to see what we are thinking. So let me focus on my people. Like, how can we do better for ourselves? And so how do you temper that and say, like, I, I, I feel more empowerment that you have for people of color and not as much as accountability almost for us to do better for our own Oh, you feel people. I don't have accountability for us? Oh, not I do. not I total, but it's a different time. heat. It's a different heat you bring. It's a different heat you bring. Um, I think it's just a different love I bring. Okay. You know, uh, I will also say it's a different maturity. Okay. Like in the span, like if you, if you, if you're just bored one day and you're like, let me see what Amanda was doing on Instagram in 2014 (laughs) and you scroll back, like, I think you'll, you'll see a change in delivery. Um, you'll see a change in temperament also just because I've changed. Mm, Right. So like. And the times have changed. Yeah, yeah. I think things have become more dire. And it's also become more and more clear to me that if we don't start to figure out how to talk to each other, like we are, we're we're doomed. I mean, we are destined for doom at present if we don't actively do this. Right. Right? Like, and commune on a regular basis and try to get to some semblance of understanding, even if it's not agreeance. Yeah. Um, and so you are absolutely right in your educator assessment that my patience for, uh, like I just don't have patience for like clearness, like for like white bullshit. I have no, and I'm, I'm cut it out. Like I just don't have, because I know that it's, confounded like it's it's based on nothing like right. i know that so it's ga- it feels like a gaslight to even try to debate it okay because i'm like <laughs> and i'm like y'all know this is bullshit right like y'all just trying to dance y'all just trying to get me to dance with the devil and i'm not gonna do it so there's that whereas like with us i feel like there's always a semblance of grace that i've had to start factoring in that like if i'm talking to us and that person doesn't get it i'm like why don't they get it Mm. What is the brainwash that worked that they mm. that yeah. got them not getting it? You know, like what is That's what good. is like even again back to clearance. Um, <laughs> like at this point in his life, like his story is his story, right? Like unless he's gonna Alice Walker and give us a third life of Grange Copeland, like this is what it is. Shout out to all my literary. Like this is what it is, right? So yeah. it's fair to judge the judge. Because this is the chosen path, right? But there is a part of me that is absolutely like, but how? Right. How? Because this doesn't just start like this. So Mm -hmm. how? Mm -hmm. And what's my minuscule role on this pale blue dot to try to like prevent the next Clarence Thomas? Mm. So that's really what it is. and, And I think part of that is one, like just listening 
Right? To folks be like, you know, I can't hear you because you saying shit this way. <laughs> and me being like, damn, I would like more people to hear me. So that's something I can change. Like this, mm-hmm. this particular thing that they're talking about is something I can change. Like right. some people will be like, you talk too, you know, you're too forceful. And I'm like, I'm a forceful talker. Like it's not, I'm, and I'm talking about things that I like care about, right. you know? So I'm not hostile. I'm passionate. Um, <laughs> so there's that. Okay. There's that. But at the end of the day... Again, like, I just assume that anybody who's an ally or co-conspirator doesn't even feel some type of way when I'm like, that's some white bullshit. They're like, you're correct. Right, right. So when people are like, oh, like, you know, when you talk like that, you're, like, um, ostracizing, like, our allies and our co-conspirators. I'm like, absolutely not. Because an ally and a co-conspirator is not even identifying Limit. themselves in that way. Right. They are absolutely looking at whiteness as an other. Yeah. So they're not, you know, I, I, in, my, in my set, and I'm, I'm performing tonight, I'm doing stand-up, but I, I go through, like, what's the difference between a white person and a person who happens to be white and an ally and a co-conspirator? And I say, like, you know, you can tell by how you, reply, how you responded to January 6th. If you watch January 6th and you were like, go, y'all, then it's like, okay, we know what you are. Mm-hmm. You white, right? If you watch January 6th and you were like, man, our country is just, this is so sad. You're a person who happens to be white. Happens to be white. Like you may, you may not be on the side of lynching, but you are definitely still not sure if you're going to go to the Panther Party. Okay. <laughs> An ally would have replied to January 6th, like, "Wow, that's really fucked up. You know, yeah. this, they're really hijacking our democracy, and this is false." Right. However, the last person, a co-conspirator, would have watched January 6th with their black friends and said, mm, mm, mm. look at these crackers. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Hello. Hi. Okay. I'm super, super nervous. I'm totally in love with you. Thanks. My sister surprised me. I'm going to be 40 on the 30th. Happy and- I also feel bad when they were talking about like your previous work because I know you from Insecure and it's crazy because your Insecure character used to like ruffle my feathers but I used to love you but then when I got to meet like the real you like is is she my sister like did we is it like a lost sister what was it about Tiffany that ruffled your feathers it I was, came the, to it was the level her. of the bougie blackness, and sometimes it was a little too much. But she was my girlfriend. Like, I, I put her in the girlfriend character, but sometimes it was like... <laughs> like, what? like, what are you doing? <laughs> and I'm from Philly, so I have a little, little different... Little, so it was like, what's happening here? Right. But, you know, I love Tiffany. I love Insecure. I love you. I also love that you play Sentimental Mood on your podcast. Oh, yeah. It's my favorite song. Like, crazy. So, my issue is, where I work at, um, it's, I I feel like it gives plantation vibes. And I, I speak this... (laughs) Strong. I speak this to certain people. I say, um, you know, sometimes it feels like they want to give like the Django and, you know, have a Samuel Jackson. And 
I'm not here for that. So I'm, I'm not trying to shuck and jive. I don't, I don't need any friends. And I'm not here to snitch on all the black people to move up top. Right. So I have, now where I'm at, I have a district manager that is black. Mm-hmm. And she has like little weird comments and like, oh, you just put water in your hair and it just curls up. Mm-hmm. It's just a lot of little weird things. Mm-hmm. And it's like always like I kind of got a shuck and jive to a certain level for you to you know, move me where I need to be at. Right. I, I'm currently, you know, back in school for business, and I've been moving up through the... I started out as a part-time clerk, but I've been moving up through the levels. I just recently got a promotion to, like, a GM3. So it's, like, different levels that you have to go through, but at the end of the day, they more so want you to shuck and jive and snitch on the back people and... So what's no, the question? I'm not, I'm not here for that. So it's like, I just want to understand how can I shine and not feel like you're trying to like degrade me and you make me like another play job. along. <laughs> Someone told me that too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's I was, just... I was told that too. The but that's other just thing, what it is. Like, there's just, you've identified that this mm-hmm. is not a place... Mm-hmm. For you to shine. Mm-hmm. And it, there are other jobs, and you can start looking for other jobs. True. And my we don't other, give ourselves my that other agency. issue is singing. Like, I've been singing all my life, but I kind of like put it off. But I also feel like the realm, like, they want you to be a certain person and like auto tunes and black yes. people, like, they don't want to yes. hear like real singing. Fact. And it's like hard for me to like step out and you know, go with what I believe is you have to beautiful and, and wait for it to be appreciated when it's like what's going on right now, the way music is right now. You just gotta decide what you consider success. Mm-hmm. You know, like when I was doing music, I really thought like success meant like Beyonce. And if I'm not Beyonce, then I didn't I win. don't want to be naked. And then like, I, I had just, to... I I, it wasn't even that as much as just like the level either. of fame. <laughs> Like, I was looking at it like the level of fame. Like, if, mm-hmm. I, if I'm not there, then that's not success. Mm-hmm. And as I've, I'm, I'm older now, like, if I had gotten, if I had the knowledge I have now back then, I wouldn't have left music. Mm. I would have just pivoted in terms of, like, what I consider to be success. Mm-hmm. And I would have identified a version of success that I could actually attain within the ideals and within my identity that I want to be. Okay. And I didn't have that wisdom okay. at that time. I have it now, which is why I'm able to do it in the comedy space, which is why I'm able to do it in the TV space. Mm-hmm. I've been challenged to do it because the same thing was starting to happen where it was like, well, if you're not, if you're not doing what Issa doing and you're not doing what Lena doing, then you mm-hmm. ain't really doing. Mm-hmm. And I had to be mm-hmm. like, no, mm-hmm. because that ain't even what you want to do. <laughs> but that's just what everyone is saying is supposed to be the thing to do. Mm-hmm. But you have your own agency and you can decide, well, what is it success? What is success for you? And mm. it can be that, right? And mm. then you can and then you can start crafting your path to that. So in terms of you wanting to do music, nothing's stopping you from doing music mm. other than you trying to figure out what is your individual path to music that isn't hindered by the path that you are aware of. Okay. So yeah, you got to find the path that you know for you. So all these paths that you know of, to my understanding, are everybody else, <laughs> right? Like we look at everybody else and you're saying, you're like, this is what's winning. Mm-hmm. 
that's not the only thing that's winning, but that might be the only version of winning that you identify as winning. Okay. It's all about being an individual without being isolated. Okay. That's one really last thing. Okay. We I want to give got... you your flowers while you're here. Thank you're you. amazing. I love Thank that you. you say everything that I don't hear. Like what I wish somebody would say that's black awesome. and they say it and they don't care and you can comment whatever you want. <laughs> appreciate and I, you. I appreciate it and I think that you're amazing. Thank you, sis. We got one question left. I'm actually shaking. Um, my name is Cynthia. I'm born and raised in Brooklyn, New York. Shout right, out to Brooklyn, New York. Yes, best I do or die. I currently live in a DMV. I work in uh, education. Thanks again. We love you for shouting out educators. So um, I'll preface my question by saying that I'm late to this space. Right? I just want to let you know we have we are short for time. Okay, I'm I'm late to this space and I'm not familiar with your body of work. Right, okay. um, I became aware of you on the real, okay. and I had strong opinions, and my daughter was the one who is more familiar with your body of work and clarified your identity to me. So my question is, <laughs> what was the thought process that led you to join in the real as the, sh the show that it was on Fox? <laughs> and you're genuinely smart, funny, and black. So help me understand. <laughs> Well, the show was a show of diverse women on Fox. Uh, the other thing is that there are different versions of shows being on networks. So Fox did not develop the show. Uh, there's syndication. So you'll see a number of shows on Fox and FX that are not necessarily of Fox ilk. Like Atlanta is not anything Fox-ish. It's black as fuck, but it's on a Fox network on FX, right? Um, and that's just one example. I think the second part is sometimes you go into those spaces to disrupt those spaces, right? So you're like, all right, well, Fox want me. And I said to them, I was like, y'all know who you bringing over here. Um, and they said, yes, and we fully understand that. And we want to shake things up and we want to have more conversations about real things, not just about lipstick. And we want to really be more in the... I think that on a basic note, they were trying to kind of like challenge the view and the talk okay. by having just a higher level of convo. Uh, but what they left out was the fact that the, the, the women who were on the show had reached a point where they did not feel safe to do that. They weren't protected by the show and they weren't protected by their fans, right? right. Because at right. the end of every episode, you would just have people flooding mm -hmm. the comments with so much negativity mm -hmm. that it made them feel like, well, I'm not gonna set myself up for that. Why, why would I continue to do that? Now I'm coming in fresh, like I got energy for that. What y'all wanna do? <laughs> so that was really the mindset. And the, the, the third thing was like, I'm doing this on Instagram every damn day for free. Right. Right. I might as well come and do it for the people. I mean, it was still for a pittance, but, um, <laughs> But it was really just, if you are somebody who really feels like you have something to say, and then there's folks who often tell you, like, I feel better by hearing the things you say. I feel more informed. I feel more at peace. I feel um, more empowered. Then I feel like it's part of your purpose to try and get your voice to as many more folks as possible without demeaning your identity of being who you've defined yourself to be. I left the real because I could not stay at the real and be smart, funny, and black.
I go. Amanda, can I just <laughs> No, because we have seven minutes okay. and 52 seconds, my love. Um, if I can get this done in that time, I got you. But I say it's one short. more quick. It's short. It's real short. So here's the thing. When I designed the logo for Smart Funny and Black, right? Like, one of the things that was core for me was the fact that so many folks that are of this nation that consider themselves white are able to actually trace their Scottish, their English, their Irish history back to these coat of arms for their families, you know, that were supposed to represent, you know, the strength of the uniqueness of their lines. And we were stripped of that, right? We don't, we don't have that in the same way. And so I wanted to create a logo that gave us that as a unit, right? That spoke to a couple different, a few different things. And so like in the top left, you see Africa, a black power fist with a red, black, and green <laughs> wristband with a crown and a panther. I don't think y'all have ever necessarily see, like looked that close at the logo, but what that is, is that's for us speaking to the connection that we have to where we were taken, also the rooting that we gave ourselves in defining our own blackness, also the power that we have in our, um, in our identity as a regal people regardless of what has been stripped of us, and also our ferocity, right? Because there's no version of being black in this country in the way that I live it that doesn't also involve rage. Like, it's just a part and parcel, and how you refine that rage is definitely unique to everybody else. But as James Baldwin said, and I'm paraphrasing, if you are an aware black person in this country, you are enraged at all times. Like, there's just no way around it. So then, like, in the yellow, I wanted to speak to just our history of education. Like, not just us learning to read, but the fact that we were always of that. We were creating languages, right? We were creating schools of thought. We were doing this before folks were even considered civilized in other parts of the world that then now try to look at us as if we are savages. And so the, the Egyptian holding the books is speaking to that, that we have a lineage, okay? We have a lineage of being literary and of creating our own stories and narratives. Then I was like, I wanna speak to our artistry because I know for me, so much of my black identity is connected to the different extensions of art that black folks have created and the way we have shown up is so unique in artistry. Like, I don't know that there's any version of music in this country that has not either been created or heavily influenced by black people. Like, it's just, I don't, polka? That's German. No, yeah, so, no, like people are like, country, I'm like, get, mm, stop it. But for us, art has been more than just a um, hobby. It's been more than just a release. It's been a tool to also create our existence in a real way, in a world that has continued to, cons to try to erase it. So for me, like my artistry is consistently trying to just cement and show up and expand the perspective of what it means to be black and a woman. <laughs> Okay, in the mix. And so that shows up musically, that shows up with the pen, that shows up with the mic, that shows up with the, with the brush. And then last but not least, 
we have these three images which speak to our style. I don't think black people get enough recognition or I don't think we pay enough attention to the fact that style has been a part of our revolution, okay? Like even when we were marching, Coretta was there with a kitten heel, okay? <laughs> because it was like, y'all ain't gonna have us thinking less of ourselves or feeling less of ourselves. Like we're gonna be out here showing up regardless of how you look down on us. Then there's like the whole idea of like zoot suits and it was like, I know y'all rationing, but <laughs> I'ma still be fly. Cause fuck y'all. And there's actually a whole deeper meaning around zoot suits. But when it comes to the unique identities of black folks, there's so many versions of us and we all deserve a space as long as we are not anti-black. And I know some people are now starting to do this thing where they're like, Amanda, you know, you are being anti-black by not supporting black folks who are anti-black. And I'm like, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> Cut it out. So, and then word est bond is <laughs> my Latin version of word is bond. And, you know, this coat of arms is for all of us, but I also, and I also created it as just an extension of my love for us. And the fact that we show up in so many ways and we exist in so many ways. And I've had people say to me that there is no such thing as black culture. And I've had black people say to me, there is no such thing as black American culture. And baby, that is one of the biggest lies that they ever told you. Because when I am in a room of black folks, I can just say one word and we all have a unique opinion about it. Do-rag. That's shared experience. That's culture, okay? So when I show up as a smart, funny, and black person, this is my coat of arms uh, to y'all. <laughs> All right, we got two minutes. Where he at? Where he at? Where he at? Hurry up, hurry up! All right, so my name is Devron. I guess I'm repping Baltimore. Um, so I just got sent to law school. How do I... Um, like as an agent, like when you talk about the protection and stuff like that, mm -hmm. how do I be a good buffer, like as an agent? Because I want to be in sports entertainment and be. Oh, how do you law. be the buffer? Yeah, like so I won't be like the black person who's like telling, oh, you're being, they're saying you're being kind of too black. But you know how you be a good buffer? You um, keep it a buck with your client. Okay. And you don't keep it a buck <laughs> with. The, the person you're dealing with. Okay. The person you're dealing with doesn't need to know everything about your client. They don't need to know all the feelings that your client has. You are the translator. Right. You're the translator. But so often, people are actually, instead of them like keeping it real with their client, they're like keeping it real with the other side and then handling their client. Right. The reason why I don't have a manager is because I don't want to be handled. Like we're a team, we should be moving through with knowledge of each other and then dealing with these people. And so that so often is what happens where folks stop looking at their clients as like people that they need to actually deal with because you are handling their livelihood and they start looking at them as just, as just like tools for capitalism. And that's when you've gone down the wrong road. So that's how you can do that. All right, thank you. No doubt. You all, thank you so much. I really hope that even though this wasn't what you expected, that it was still something you enjoyed. Um, I, uh, oh, there's a standing happening.
theamandaverse.com. If you haven't got tickets to the stand-up show tonight, there's still some available, so hopefully you can say, you know what, I might see you twice tonight. Keep listening and subscribe and like to Small Doses. I appreciate all of you, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your weekend. Stop from the hip. Small dose. Small dose. Talking that shit. Small dose. Keep it real. Small dose. Me and them seals. It's so funky. <laughs> Stop it. A podcast. <clears throat> A podcast network.